Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. If you listen to our podcast on a regular basis, you'll recall a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed a U.S. Marine who served in Afghanistan and came home on numerous prescription medications while experiencing a number of health issues. Today, we're going to talk to another U.S. soldier who served in Afghanistan. He has prescribed nearly 10,000 prescription pills a year for his medical problems by Veterans Administration doctors, but he finds medical cannabis more helpful. And, as we all know, cannabis is against federal law in the United States. Joining us from Missouri is Joshua Lee. Joshua, thanks for doing this. We greatly appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on your show. How long did you serve in Afghanistan? I was actually boots on ground in Afghanistan for almost exactly 12 months. Tell us what that was like. Ah, man, it was... Are you talking about what the experience was like for me existentially or what I was actually doing over there? Well, both. Okay. What I was doing over there, I deployed as a mechanic with a forward support company for the combat engineers, or actually the 203rd Engineer Battalion. So our job consisted, my personal job consisted of making sure the vehicles were maintained that the guys were taking outside the wire every day to go hunt for IEDs or to deliver supplies to different camps. Part of those duties included going with the convoys because they're outside the wire three, four weeks at a time. They need mechanics with them in case things go bad and they need things repaired. Mm -hmm. So our personal company broke multiple military records for the amount of miles driven, most IEDs found. We were technically a non-combat company as a support company, but we saw way more action than even most infantry companies did in that section. Now, when you say way more action, what do you mean? Constant harassment by sniper fire, IEDs, RPGs, ambushes. When you're delivering supplies in between compounds, that makes you kind of a soft target because everybody wants you. Not only are there some American military presence, but they got goodies, too. That's what they're going to try to attack first. Josh, sorry to interrupt here, but what are IEDs and RPGs? Ooh. I am so sorry. I do use jargon sometimes without explaining it. IEDs are improvised explosive devices. In Afghanistan, they'd range anywhere from a simple grenade with a trip switch on it, hoping someone would walk by and kick it, to, um, I'm not sure exactly how much I can say about the biggest one we tracked down. Thankfully, we located it before it located us. But it was a several thousand pound hydrogen peroxide homemade bomb buried across almost a quarter mile of road it would have taken out a significant chunk of the village it was located in let alone us josh take us through the convoy attack that uh, you were involved in and tell us what happened well um and again believe me i'm i'm I'm, i don't think any of this is classified so if it is i'm going to be in trouble but we'll see um the parts i know i can talk about pretty sure I can talk about. 
uh, I was on a convoy mission. It was actually wound up being about a three-week mission. Of course, we're stopping in at bases. We're not sleeping out in the fields exposed to enemy fire, but three weeks out on the roads. Um, that particular convoy mission, I was riding backseat in a gun truck, one of the guard trucks embedded within the convoy hauling supplies. In front of us, we had a route clearance patrol that it creeps ahead of us, checking for IDs, making sure that the guys with the supplies aren't going to run over them. Okay. We actually happened to luck out. There was a, another route clearance patrol in front of them that had gotten stuck for one reason or another. And as such, we were crawling behind them. So the actual convoy wound up looking like there's a route clearance patrol in front, then our route clearance patrol, and then us, our actual clip combat logistics patrol, the guys delivering supplies, okay? We were on our way into a base. We were probably not more than even at convoy speeds, I'd say an hour away, convoy speeds being typically less than 15 miles an hour. And... We all of a sudden, we heard that the guys in the very front were taking fire. We crest over the hill, and it looked like a Star Wars battlefield from all the tracers. We wound up being involved in a six to eight kilometer long ambush, estimated enemy force 100 to 150, embedded all the way from the ditches beside the road. They'd rolled over Army National Police compounds. They were up on the hills launching mortars down at us. It was fun in a not fun sense. What happens to you psychologically when you go through something like that? I a lot of that, and I've discussed this obviously with both my therapist, my psychiatrist, and my wife, who happens to be a, a licensed practicing counselor and a mental health therapist as well. A lot of it depends on what your particular role is in combat or in that particular moment. I mean, obviously, as a trained military personnel, I wanted to be able to do what I could, but when you're stuck in the back seat of a gun truck, the only thing you can do is wait for your gunner to holler out for more ammo. Mm-hmm. No matter how dangerous it is or what's going on or how much you wish you could help, the only thing you can do is sit there and watch bullets bounce off the glass. So you're, what, you're really a spectator. And that was kind of my experience up until some other things happened and I wound up. <clears throat> I didn't. I was never. I never pulled a trigger. Mm-hmm. firing at someone but yeah i was involved in the firefight our, our gunner wound up taking a bullet to the uh helmet actually knocking him out briefly so the most involved i got was i bounced up stuck my head up there checking on him because he'd gone silent just as he pulled the trigger on the on, on the grenade launcher wow what does that do to you emotionally I mean, I know, I know that you're supposed to expect that somewhat in what you're doing over in Afghanistan, but does it does it ever prepare you? Hmm. It's really hard to describe. It's not that they don't prepare you. They prepare you to, no matter what, continue mission, stuff the feelings you got to get the job done, which in the specific context of getting a job done is fantastic. On the downside, current military culture doesn't really encourage guys to learn how to decompress. So you get guys that are are bottling things up for a year, they come home, and now they don't know how not to bottle things up anymore. 
Yeah, that's exactly what uh, Matthew Dula was saying when we in- interviewed him, uh, the fellow from North Carolina who was in Afghanistan. And my suggestion, and I know nothing about the military, so this may be off the wall, but I, I, my suggestion was why don't they take the, the folks who have been in combat zones when, before they're coming home, take them somewhere for two weeks and help them decompress? The military has really never realized this was a problem before. I mean, realize when OIF kicked off Operation Iraqi Freedom, sad to say, no one expected us to survive at this rate. We'd never seen a modern war where veterans were coming home in this high in numbers. They expected an attrition rate staggeringly higher than what it was. I mean, they were obviously glad they didn't have to pay the butcher's bill, but now they don't know what to do with us. Mm-hmm. So it's just simply... You've got to realize, too, how far the mental health field has come since the last time we had major deployments of troops. Even back during the Gulf War, we didn't – the mental health field was still gaining acceptance, and in a lot of ways, it still is to this very day. There's a lot of people fighting against the mental health field, even within the military culture. It's seen as a sign of weakness amongst a lot of veterans. So, Sorry, Joshua. Go ahead. No, I was gonna. I was going to say, what was it like for you the day, um, the evening, or whenever the 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 uh, gunfight was over, and you were in uh, safe surroundings? What was it like for you emotionally? Um, when the firefight was over, the safe surroundings we got to was the next closest base which was a blackout base because it was known to take sniper and mortar fire all night if they had lights on. And we were prepping overnight, trying to get ready to haul out of there as quickly as possible. So there wasn't really a whole lot of decompressing at that point in time. Then as soon as you pass out and you wake up, you hear, oh, well, the local base commander is upset because he thinks we're the ones that pissed off the locals. So now we're on hold while he investigates. Again, you you take what you can. There's brief moments of joy. We set up a rugby game. It's the first and only time I've ever played rugby with some of the local interpreters. You find moments of joy where you can. And I honestly, personally, as an American, I think rugby's kind of cool. I'd love to <laughs> learn to play that some more. And we were like, hey, look at this. Throwing a, stick, throwing a ball of stick. I'm like, what's wrong with that? But it's a different environment. You You find moments of joy and moments of decompression where you can, but... That's why you'll have veterans come home with certain habits or certain nervous tics. I mean, to this day, you know, I am far and away in a better shape than I was when I came home. But to this day, I still can't go anywhere without a drink in my hand. Just ingrained into me. I have to have liquid hydration on me at all times. And, you know, it's not like that's necessarily a bad habit to break. So I haven't made a deliberate effort to break it. But that's just an example of how ingrained even a silly small behavior can be. It can be as simple as which shoe you put on first, because if you put on this shoe first, you don't get hit. If you put on that shoe first, you do. Um, Avoiding certain things at certain times of the day, just, you know how long it took me to be comfortable going across a crowded bridge in traffic? No. It's It's been six years, and I still have issues with the bridge near Jet City sometimes. Now, my entire job involved convoys and crowds and moving vehicles efficiently and getting them out of the way and making sure people couldn't ambush us. And now you've got me on a three-lane bridge that's a quarter mile long and no exits, and it's bumper-to-bumper traffic. Oh, no. Again, it's just a recurring issue I have to deal with, but that's the point of therapy and medication. What was your health like, Josh, when you came back from Afghanistan? (laughs) 
Um, that is when it was starting to decline. When I left for Afghanistan, I was actually a national level martial arts competitor. I've got several expensive trophies around my house from tournaments I attended in Arkansas and other states where we had national and even some competitors from Canada coming down to play. I was in the prime peak condition of my life. I was very proud of my physical condition. And something started to go wrong in Afghanistan. I've got the paperwork to prove it, all the sick call slips and everything else and the doctor's notes. And then I came home and my body just started to hurt more and more each day. And it's just kind of progressed ever since. Considering I came home and I was a master ASE certified mechanic working on cars, you know, when your body hurts for no reason, that kind of aggravates you and doesn't let you do your job too well. How many medications are you on or were you on? The VA prescribes me 9,828 pills a year, 27 pills a day. I could go grab the bottles and count them up, but it's something like 11 or 12. 27 pills a day. Wow. Mm -hmm. What were you taking? What I'm currently prescribed are opiates, narcotics, muscle relaxers, SSRIs, and benzos, along with other fun medications to control the side effects of those medications and medications to control the effects of those secondary medications. Mm-hmm. And on it goes. And on it goes. And mind you, keep in mind, I bought my first six-pack of beer when I was 22 years old. I may have grown up in Oregon, but drugs just were never interesting to me. I was always more interested in refining my own body and expanding my mind than I was doing what I thought was that stoner hippie stuff. I didn't have a problem with it. It just wasn't for me. Alcohol was kind of the same way. I'd do it socially, but it wasn't a huge deal until the VA got me hooked on opiates. That's a very interesting comment because I want to read something to you from uh, retired Army Major David Bass, who served in Iraq. He said he was diagnosed with PTSD and chronic pain after serving in Baghdad. David received a list of opioid prescriptions from Veteran Affairs that slowly tore down his life. And here's what he had to say. And I'd like your comment on this. He said, I felt like a zombie. I had flat emotions, experienced suicidal ideation, got addicted to hydrocodone. It got to where I couldn't do without taking it every day. My doctors told me that I needed to take these drugs for at least two more years before even talking about not using them anymore. I became very discouraged. One day, I was so discouraged that I flushed the drugs down the toilet. I researched medical cannabis and discovered that thousands of veterans testify that cannabis is effective for chronic pain and PTSD. Cannabis wasn't a gateway drug for me. It was an exit drug. Exactly. That is exactly the truth. That's exactly what so many of us veterans are fighting for. And we're not just fighting for us veterans. We're fighting for all the other patients down here in the States that are in the same boat we are. You know, we kind of have a little bit of the spotlight because everyone says they want to support veterans. But the truth be told, there are more people out there with these types of conditions than there are veterans. We're just trying to use our status to push for this exit drug. (laughs) Every one of the medications I'm on are a quality of life drug. I don't want to be on them. I don't like them. I've experienced withdrawals for the first time in my life. Do you know how much fun that is? I'll give you a hint. Not very. And that's something I wasn't prepared to deal with because my doctors told me the pills were safe. I wasn't going to get withdrawals from Tramadol. 
Yeah, that wasn't true. Take us through how you discovered that cannabis was more helpful than the meds you were on. Mm. Well, my wife, Julia, is a licensed practicing counselor, like I said, and during her master's program, she became friends with someone who also was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. That person later on wound up moving to Colorado and explaining to Julia the benefits of medical cannabis, and Julia wound up talking to me about it so that we could do our own research. You know, we've both been raised extremely conservative, but with open minds as well. Like, the data is there. The science is there. In every state with legal medical marijuana, suicide rates for veterans get cut by half. Opiate overdoses go down by 25 to 28%, and that's from the National Institute of Health and the CDC, both funded by the federal government. Just those two numbers alone should convince anyone medical cannabis can actually help. And for our 15-year anniversary, my wife and I planned a a four or five day trip and we stayed in Colorado Springs and I got to reduce the amount of meds I'm on and experience my life again for the first time in years. My wife got to see the man she'd married instead of the asshole I'd become. Tell us about the first time you uh, took marijuana when you were in Colorado. Oh, man. Um, well, first thing I started off with was a CBD transdermal patch. That was an instant blessing right there. Um, I mean, again, you know, I'm on opiates and muscle relaxers to control muscle spasms, tremors, and pain, not to mention the arthritis. So the fact that I could put on a transdermal patch and be, if not pain-free, at least pain-manageable and not drugged up to the point I'm a zombie, for me to get out of the house and go for instance, for me to go air, run errands with my wife on Fridays, which involves, say, going to pick up groceries and paying some bills, maybe some medications or whatever, and coming back to the house, total time, three hours, requires me to either be so drugged up I'm nearly unresponsive or in so much pain I'm surly, snappish, and grumpy. We were out in Colorado for five days, and I didn't even – I don't remember that I even snapped at her, which – Sounds sad to say, but coming from someone like me, that's really impressive. I'm not saying we have screaming matches, but I am a grumpy-ass veteran in a lot of pain, so sometimes I snap and then have to immediately apologize and be like, hey, I'm sorry I'm such a jerk. I went. I got to have three or four days of not having to do that. Between the transdermal patch, um, I experimented with tinctures, edibles, and lotions as well. Um, I did smoke a little bit, but for the most part, smoking isn't the most efficient way to deliver it for medicinal purposes. It's just an efficient way to deliver it quickly. So I just experimented with about all the different things they could do to see how they could reduce my medications. And I mean, even just topical creams, a topical cream. It's a lotion that would be a felony for me to take across state lines, but just putting on this hand cream, I didn't have to take my arthritis medication. And the arthritis medication is destroying my liver. So my options are commit suicide by pill or be a felon. What, what kind of a choice is that? What kind of a thank you is that for serving my country? What did your wife think of uh, the change in you? She was amazed. I mean, she she was convinced it was going to help anyway, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But 
she wasn't expecting the degree of change. We were expecting at most reducing the pills by a few at most, you know, maybe cutting them in half or trying to at most just improving my quality of life slightly. The amount that it did improve my quality of life just for the short time we were there. It was a drastic change. And I wasn't even off all my medications yet because, of course, these drugs, you can't just go cold turkey on, or at least you really shouldn't, medically speaking. I will never encourage anyone to go cold turkey off these things. That can and will kill you. Which, again, that's kind of a sad state of affairs. That's what I'm being told, a safer alternative to cannabis? Really? How many pills do you take uh, uh, on a daily basis now? Unfortunately, as cannabis isn't legal in my home state yet, I'm still back up to the 27 pills a day. Right now, Missouri has a legal sort of semi-quasi-gray area about CBD oil. Yes, it's legal. Yes, there's a program in place. But there's a really extensive series of hoops and stuff, red tape you have to go through to even try it. But it's still technically legal, so it is available for sale, but it, it, it's a gray area. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, what caught my attention uh, with your story was the picture you had where you had this container with uh, 9,828 Smarties in it to show how many pills you take a day. And it was very, very compelling. And we posted that on our Facebook page, and that's when you contacted me about an interview. I want you to tell the story about uh, how you came about to do that. If I get sniffly, it's not my fault. Um, That was after we came back from Colorado. You know, my wife has told me that 27 pills a day is kind of insane, and they just kind of brush it off because, to me, it's normal. This is what the doctors hand me. The doctors only hand me safe things, so why wouldn't I do this? It never really sunk in just how many pills a day I was taking till I sat down and I added them up, and I was just shocked. I was like, 10,000 pills a year? That can't be right. And I did the math, and yeah, yeah, it is. So Julia suggested, why don't you get something together to take a picture of it so you can show how many pills you take? And I did, and... The look on my face on that picture is the utter betrayal and shock of realizing just what I'm being fed. That was eye-opening. I went to a candy store, a local candy store here in Jefferson City, explained what I was doing. They only had a couple pounds of Smarties. They called their sister store in Columbia, which is about 40 minutes away. They only had another couple pounds. So all in all, I wound up having to buy, they didn't even have enough bulk Smarties for that bag. I had to buy like four and a half pounds of wrapped Smarties and unwrap them to put in that bag. That's how many pills I'm prescribed a year. And once that story came out and people started paying attention to it, so many veterans contacted me and they're, there are so many of us in the same boat. You know, when veterans like me or the average VA in the veteran healthcare system with more than 70% disability rating, I believe is prescribed an average of 17 pills a day. I believe. Don't quote me on that. I can't promise I have that number written down somewhere, okay? But I can tell you anecdotally from all the people contacting me, that's got to be at least true. And... Doing just looking at the actual reports again by the VA and CDC and NIH, the, the, the veterans like us, 
we've got a 40% higher risk of dying from a sudden aneurysm, stroke, or heart attack, and we shorten our life expectancy by 15 years on average. That's incredible because you you stand a, a better chance in Afghanistan than you did coming back and taking 27 pills a day, 10,000 pills a year. Yeah, I absolutely was safe in Afghanistan in a war zone than I am at home taking the legal medications prescribed to me by the government. It's crazy, isn't there it? Is, there's no doubt in my mind. Now, mind you, um, it's not that the VA healthcare system doesn't understand what they're doing. By congressional law, when I brought up medical marijuana to all my doctors, they all pretty much word for word said the same thing. By congressional law, all we can tell you is that we have a 12-step program. It's bad for you, and you should get off of that. Okay. Of course, then my psychiatrist urged me to move to Colorado for allergies. Hmm, Doc, it seems to be a little outside your field of expertise, but maybe I get the hint of what you're trying to tell me. They absolutely know there's better options out there. Their hands are absolutely tied, and there's nothing they can do. Any idea how many times that photo of you with your bag of pills has been shared? Oh, God. I have absolutely no idea. I know from my personal page, my Facebook page, it's been shared one and a half thousand times. Every organization's page I've seen has been shared at least another half thousand times. I wound up posting that same picture and story on Reddit and Imager. Uh, on Imager, it was the top trending story for over 12 hours, over half a million views, I think it is, something like 21,000 points. Um, on Reddit, it got 15,500 karma. In my Reddit account, I have exactly one post, that one, and I've got 11,500 karma on my account. It's like, wow, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I have no idea how many people have seen that picture. And then, as you've seen, like the Kansas City Star picked up the newspaper, or picked up the article and published it online. Their sister sites as well, the Chicago Tribune and Miami Herald and a bunch of others. And I've seen people sharing it from there. I have no idea. I've been contacted by people internationally about this. I've had a lot of veterans act, excuse me, not a lot. I've had two veterans from out of country recommend I move out of country for health reasons. They recommended Chile, actually. Chile. Chile. Oh, I've gotten the odd message from Chile. (laughs) Well, reason being, the VA pays me the same no matter where I live. Chile actually has really good health care system, and the VA will actually pay for you to go through their health care system because there's no VA hospital in Chile. So technically, I could go down to Chile and live like a king for the rest of my life and grow weed in my backyard. But that wouldn't do much good for everyone else who's still stuck here. Yeah, no, that's uh, interesting. I think one of the one of the uh, the fascinating things about your photo is that a veteran can come back and can complain about various ailments, and we can't, in our own mind, understand the pain that that person is going through. But when you show a bag of ten thousand pills and say, this is what I take a year, that somehow resonates with people. Well, because it's in their face. It's in their face. It's visual. It's visual. Visual stimulation like that is very, very impactful. Impactful. Yeah. Right. You know, it's one of those things where I, and I will tell you this much, every veteran I've ever talked to has this exact same mindset. 
I'm not disabled because there's other veterans worse than me. I was talking to a quadriplegic who flat out said, I don't have it that bad. There's guys that didn't make it home. You're a quadriplegic because of the combat you saw. Come on. Quit being a tough guy or tough gal in this case. Just because other people have pain doesn't mean our pain isn't real too. And it's a really hard concept even for us to grasp internally, let alone when to the rest of the world we look like we should be a hale, healthy, able-bodied adult, and inside we're broken. People don't see that. And I think that might have been what really resonated with that image was the fact that now people can see the pain that we're all going through. This is what we're dealing with. Look, you think we just want drugs? We're trying to get off these drugs. We don't want these drugs. Take them away. Ultimately, I would love it if the VA would pay for my medical cannabis. That'd be fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Right now, what I'm fighting for is the right to turn down thousands of dollars worth of street drugs to pay for my own damn pot. I mean, how can anyone complain about that? I'm literally trying to save the government money here. So what's the next step for you, Josh? Well, next step is, at this point, I'm spearheading a coalition of veterans that are scattered across Missouri. We present ourselves to the Capitol every week. Um, I live, literally, I can be walking in the Capitol from my house in 15 minutes. So I'm kind of the face of things up here, um, talking to senators and politicians and representatives and lobbyists and aides and just kind of helping present the face of the issue to people and helping them realize this isn't just a think piece. This isn't just a philosophical talking point. This is real. This is impactful. This can save people's lives. And it really seems to be having an impact up at the Capitol and then the overall attitude up there. Of course, and we were also gathering got a lot of us veterans involved with the Midland Normal and Casey Normal and all the different organizations that are gathering signatures for the petition on the 2018 ballot. If it gets on there, I can almost guarantee it'll pass. We've got a staggering like 75% approval rate statewide for medical marijuana. So right now, all they're doing is gathering signatures. Get the signatures. It'll be on the ballot in 2018. It'll be legal. But in the meantime, I'm up here talking to politicians and lawmakers saying, hey, maybe we can expand the CBD program we've already got right now, or maybe I can just help educate you so that if it does have to go through the ballot process, then maybe you won't try to screw with it when it goes through. Right. And your next vacation, is it in Colorado? Absolutely. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind about that. You know, I'd love to come visit the Pacific Northwest, but that's a little bit further away. (laughs) Just a tad. Actually, my next vacation, there's a slim chance it might be in L.A., so we'll see. Okay. (laughs) Joshua, it was uh, great to talk to you and uh, telling your story, and I hope one day that you get off your uh, 27 pills a day. I'm working on it. I'm working for that right for all of us out here, not just me. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you, man. I really appreciate the interview. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to hearing it. Thank you so much, Josh. And that's another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. If you'd like to tell your story on Cannabis Health Radio, send us an email at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website 
CannabisHealthRadio.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.